Would you turn with me to John chapter 4, the last section of John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the pew Bibles, one of the black Bibles in front of you and some of the chairs. You can find it in page 836 or 889 towards those middle to late 800s, John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible or an ESV Bible and would like to take one of those, we would love for you to keep it, write your name in it, make it your own. We're going through section by section through this gospel, the gospel of John. Before I read the passage we're going to look at this morning, we want to begin with this story. A doctor told her she had less than a year to live. At such a young age, she was expected to be taken within a year because of her illness. A pastor visited her in the hospital, finding out that she and her husband had a very nominal faith. Their, their faith was like in name only. They would go to church maybe once in a while, maybe at Christmas or Easter. That's about it. But it didn't really make a difference in their lives, their day-to-day lives She asked the pastor, she said, if Jesus could do miracles in the Bible, like we read in the story today, can't he do them now if he's actually alive and risen from the dead? What good is he if he doesn't help people today when they're suffering and heal them? And she said, I will pray for him to heal me, and if he does, I will believe him, and I will devote myself to him and to his church. So the pastor did what you'd think he ought to do, and he, with this woman and family, prayed for a miracle, for healing. They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed earnestly that God would heal this woman and show her that Jesus is real and that he's alive and he's powerful. And to their amazement, she was healed. It was a miracle. And they left the hospital with their doctor's astonishment This was truly an act of God. So what happened on the first Sunday? She was able to show up at church with her family, front row, dressed, ready to even get baptized. And the story goes that after a month, her family stopped coming with her. It was just her and her husband by that time. And after a few months later, she quit attending. Because you see, it just didn't do what it did for her at the beginning. She wasn't sure about this Jesus stuff. She began to rationalize what had happened in the hospital. Was it really a miracle? I'm not sure. What happened? And this shouldn't surprise us as we come to this story and we really dig into the intent of this story because over and over again, people have witnessed witnessed in this book miracles of Jesus. They saw it with their eyes. And they didn't truly believe. They didn't give themselves with their whole heart to Christ. The young woman sought a miracle and not Jesus behind the miracle. You see, this woman wanted health, but not him. And that leads us to this morning's text. Would you look there at verse 43? Remember, this is right after the Samaritan revival. We were there a few, three weeks ago. After the two days, he departed from Galilee. For Jesus 
himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his hometown. It's a strange statement. Why do they put that there? So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So they came to the Cana in Galilee where he had made water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And he said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he believed him and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. At the end of this, at the end of October, I drove to Buffalo, New York to watch a football game with my younger brother. And to get to Buffalo, if you go through Canada, which I did, you drive past Niagara Falls. It was wonderful. First time I'd been there. Now, imagine being on a raft on the Niagara River, upstream from the falls on a beautiful summer sunny day, and you want to get some vitamin D, and you want to get a nice suntan. And yet the rapids are rapidly approaching, and you find out they're way more than just a little rapids. You can hear them, and you can see that something strange is ahead. And actually, you have no oars or a motor, and you can't swim, and you're right in the middle of the Niagara River. Oh, but you have a cell phone, and it works, And you have a friend who, strangely enough, is nearby with a helicopter. (laughs) Now, you sit there, reclining in that raft, enjoying the sun, and then you realize something is wrong. And you you sit there and you go, oh man, I'm in trouble. You realize you forgot suntan lotion. (laughs) So you pick up that cell phone and you call your friend and you say... Hey, friend, I, I'm out here at this spot. You can see where I am on the GPS through the phone. Can you chop her out, chop her out here and send me some suntan lotion? And that would be a real help. Now, what would happen if your friend said to you, Hey, brother, you don't have a problem with needing suntan lotion or sunscreen You have a bigger problem, and he pointed out that his bigger problem is what we all see and chuckle about is you think you need sunblock 
so you don't get sunburned, but in reality, within minutes, you're going to be over and it won't matter at all. See, what would a real friend do on the phone? He wouldn't just bring the sun lotion. Friend would point out his need. You know, we're so often like that, though we don't think of it that way. We experience crisis in our lives and we go to Jesus. People all over the world go to Jesus in the midst of their troubles for help, for him to get them out of a jam. And yet, their greatest crisis is not the physical need that they go to Jesus for, just like this story. In the face of our physical emergencies or temporary crises, we can so often miss the big picture, our truest and greatest need. Now, I want to set the stage for you. What's the context of this passage I just read? We have this story, and we try to understand what is John doing. Now, John wrote this book based on his eyewitness, and yet by the Holy Spirit, he put it together with a theological purpose, not making it up. It's all true. God's Spirit guiding him, what he saw and heard and understood, the significance, but he wants us to understand something because at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is going to point something out that's really important. Jesus has been teaching that it is vital that you truly believe in him. If you don't believe in him, the wrath of God remains upon you. John 3, 36. But for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But who will believe on him? Here comes religious Nicodemus in chapter 3, and Nicodemus says to Jesus, I know that you are a special man come from God because nobody can talk like you do. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, born from within, born of the Spirit, he cannot even see God's kingdom. He cannot at all enter the kingdom of God. You need something to happen to you And John the Baptist says at the end of that chapter that a man cannot receive one thing unless it's given to him by God. Then Jesus comes to the Samaritans, and there's a woman, has no no plan to seek Jesus, and yet Jesus is looking to reach her, and she comes to him, and Jesus says, give me something to drink. And she goes, who are you talking to me? Why did Jews never talk to women, especially Samaritan women? And Jesus says, Basically, if you knew who I am, oh, you know, you should know that I am bringing you eternal life. I'm bringing you water that will never end. Only believe me. And she does. And all these, there's a Samaritan revival in her town. She goes back and says to them, this man told me about all my sin. And yet he accepted me. He is the Messiah. And all of Samaria, or at least that town, came to Jesus And they realized he is the savior of the world. That's where we leave off. So he comes from Samaria to a place where they weren't supposed to embrace this Jewish Messiah. 
And they truly welcome him. They believe. They're not looking for miracles. They want Jesus for who he really is. He is the savior of the world. And now Jesus leaves Samaria, goes up to Galilee. That's his home area. It's the, the land of the Jews. And it says that they welcomed him. But if we dug in deeper, we would actually realize that I think what John is saying and what is happening here is they welcomed him. Kinda, he's being sarcastic here. They welcomed him in one sense, but they welcomed him like this. Oh, come on, Jesus. I want you to do things for me. I want to see your magical works. I heard about it, and I saw it happen in Jerusalem. I wanted you to do it here. They weren't coming to him and saying, I need to repent of my sins and put myself fully to you because you are the Messiah. You are the real Savior of the world. The Samaritans got it. They didn't need to see signs. They saw and believed Jesus for who he really is. Jesus now comes into his hometown of Galilee, and they welcome him, but all they're focused on is, what are you going to bring me? Are you going to heal? I want to see power. I want to see miracles. I want to see these things. But you see that Jesus... Already, we've already seen this. We're going to see this trace through John. In John chapter 2, verse 23, that Jesus was at the peace of the Passover. It says that many believed on his name because of the signs he was doing. That's the miracles he was doing. But it says that Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness to Jesus about mankind for he knew what was in man, and he knew that they were doing it for wrong motives. They were doing it, they were saying, Jesus, I want what you have, I don't want you. In fact, we're going to see this whenever we get to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you have signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. So here we see Jesus working in this story, and he's going to overcome, and he's going to show us misplaced motives of coming to Jesus, and he does it with a father in crisis. He has a boy who's dying. His greatest crisis, though, is not for his son to get healed, as important and as human and as beautiful as it is that he does get healed. The father's greatest need is not for his boy to be healed, but for him to believe. Because you see, that boy was going to die again, and he did die again. This father feels a temporal crisis, and understandably so. And I want to just walk you through this passage for a few minutes And then end with some concluding remarks. Look with me at verses 46 and 47. Do you see the father's crisis? I mean, you heard it. This is most of these miracles that happen. There is a crisis. We saw that there's no wine in in the wedding of Cana. That That was a scandal, an embarrassing scandal for a family not to have wine for their wedding. And this, it seems like a greater crisis. A father has a crisis, and it's physical and it's earthly. Look at verse 46. He came, to the, he came to Cana. It's the place where he had turned water into wine. And at Capernaum, this man from Capernaum probably comes to Cana, and his son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea and Galilee, he must have heard about his miracles. 
he went to Jesus and he asked Jesus, would you come down and would you heal my son? He's at the point he's dying. My chance, this says he was an official, most likely he was a royal, he was a royal servant probably of the King Herod and he was He's maybe Jewish, but he was probably rich. He'd probably gone to all the doctors. And now his son is dying. He hears about Jesus. He comes and he says, he does what any good parent would do. If there is a possibility that he could get help to heal his son, he goes and he begs him, would you please come? Will you come to my house? Will you come and would you heal my son? I need it. And he's so much like us. It's, it's what we do. We come to Jesus, and we come with things on our mind. God, Jesus, would you help me with my pain? Jesus, would you help me with my relationship? It's, it's messed up. Would you help me with my marriage? Would you help me with my kids? Would you help me with my job? Would you help me get this girl? Would you help me take away my loneliness, my depression? Would you save my kids? Perhaps you're experiencing something, and you wonder, why are all these things happening? And I think if we were all put in this position of this father, we'd feel desperate and we would seek Jesus' help if we heard that he could do something. If we heard that he was a man who did miracles and was from God, we'd seek him out. And when we come to Jesus, or when we're in a need, we should go to Christ. I talked to a dear elderly lady, a mother of one of you this week, who doesn't come regularly to this church, and she said to me, she said, Pastor, I started praying recently, and my son helped me, and I, it was one of the first times I just really cried out to God. And she is learning, even at her old age, the necessity of how dependent we are. We need to cry out to God in all things. We so desperately need Jesus. We can do that in prayer but I want you to see the reality is we often come to Jesus with such a limited perspective and Jesus has a deeper and a greater concern to help us beyond that we can even fathom. I can imagine this or can understand this as a father. I have five kids and a lot of them are starting to grow up. Most, they're not really little anymore, but I remember when they were especially little they would come and they would have a need and they had an idea how to meet that need. But myself, with years, decades of experience over them, knew much better. Well, how much more does Jesus, who made the world and upholds everything by the word of his power, is gloriously wise and loving and powerful, he knows our great need. So when we come to him and we say, Jesus, I have a need he already knows our need. He already knows what's best for it, for us. And he's, he cares. I want you to see, secondly, Jesus' concern in verses 48 through 50. So if the father's crisis is earthly, it's temporary. It's his son going to die. That's, it seems temp, it's, it's earthly in that it's not a spiritual need. He didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I feel so guilty about my sin. Will you please take it away? That wasn't what he did. He came with a physical need. But Jesus has a bigger need, a deeper or a bigger concern. Verse 48, Jesus said to him. Now it says, he said to him, 
And then it says, and it, there's a quotation, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, we can't see it here, but if you looked here, and Dan brought this out, I believe, Pastor Dan did, when he was teaching on, in everything, give thanks. There is an expression of, this is a plural you. This is a, unless you all, and he was now talking to all of the crowd, not just this man who's coming. That means there was an audience there, and probably the disciples. And Jesus says to all of them, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this was not a time for, hey, I'm going to just give you a nice little proverb. In fact, this was kind of a rebuke. That seems strange that he would bring a rebuke to a dad whose heart is breaking and he's coming to him and saying, please come to my house, heal my son, he's going to die. And Jesus gives this, what seems at first like a platitude, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe, which is actually a rebuke. What's going on here? The official isn't stunned by it. The official doesn't go, oh, I guess he's not interested today. He will not be deterred. He is going to persist. And he says, but sir, come down before my child dies. Now, Jesus responds. He cares. And yet, I want you to note, Jesus does not answer his prayer. His prayer is, come and heal my son. Come to my house and heal my son. That immediately, Jesus doesn't give him an answer that says, okay. Jesus actually doesn't say no, but he goes, go. I'm not coming. Go. And then the next phrase, your son will live. The next phrase says, the man believed the word. Not what he saw. He saw no healing yet. He believed Jesus' word, that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Jesus knows that this man has a greater need, much greater need, than his son being healed. Just like a friend in a helicopter would know that his insane friend who's down rafting and suntanning in front of Niagara Falls has a greater need than sun screen. Jesus knows that this man, this father, this official, royal official with a dying son needs more than anything to believe in Christ as the son for life. This whole letter of John is written, and it says it at the end of this letter. I write you these things, all of these stories, all of these occurrences that take place. I want you to stare, and I want you to see this man. There's no one like this person, Jesus. And I want you to believe not just some truths. I want you to believe him personally. I want you to believe that he is the real Savior of the world, that he is the promised one from the old prophecies of Israel. He is the Messiah. He is the one that makes all things right. He is actually God. I want you to believe that. And that means he's promised that everyone who believes on him, he gives that life to them. 
John writes that at the beginning of this letter, he says, to all who receive this person, having believed in him, receive Jesus, he get, who believes in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. In John 3, we're familiar with this, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus will, later, a year or two later, in the Gospel of John, but in our, as we get to John chapter 11, he will look at the grave of Lazarus, who's already dead for four days. And he'll say to the crowd, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall he live. And we sit here 2,000 years later and say, yes, but I have never seen a real miracle. I have never seen the things that happen in Bible times. And I want to say to those of you that there were Many, many people in Bible times who saw the miracles, they didn't believe it all. They just said, give me more food. Give me more miracles. Come to my town and do this. And there was, you see, Jesus knew they needed something different. They needed to believe. And that believing was a work of the Holy Spirit, of God causing him to be born again. See what happens here in this story? Jesus doesn't go with him. He does that in other places, possibly. He, he answers prayers, and he answers, and he heals the blind, and he does, heals a leper. But in this story, we find that Jesus rebukes the crowd in this man, and he says, all of you think that if you need signs and wonders, wonders to believe, you need miracles. And I want to tell you, I could do miracles and miracles and miracles and it won't mean anything. It won't truly be faith unless the Spirit works in you. In this story, Jesus steps between the man and his felt need, and he makes the man have to trust in his word. Jesus does that in our lives. He steps between us and our needs. We call out to him, oh God, help my marriage. God, help. I'm struggling with my loneliness. Help me. I'm struggling with school. Help me. I'm just depressed. Help me. I'm going through this situation. And Jesus may and often does help us in those areas. He is so loving and caring, but he has a greater burden and a caring for us and a concern for us. Jesus in his grace, steps between us and our needs as we come to him and he says, look at me, not just what I will bring to you, healing to your son, solving of your problems, look to me. The royal official, I, I read this this week, I love this, this statement, the royal official sought a miracle and Jesus places himself between the request and the healing. So the man had to act in faith and walk home without the thing he wanted. He wanted Jesus and full assurance. But in some ways, he, he walked believing. He had, was given the gift of faith. He believed. He had decided he will trust Jesus. Not to just bring Jesus back and simply 
I guess, further his reputation as he brought him to his hometown. Now, I want you to see the conclusion of the story. Look at verses 50 to 52. You see the compassion of Jesus. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word. We've already read this. Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour that he began to get better. And they said to him, it was yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Jesus heals the man's son. He does it from afar. He decides to do it because he believes this is the best thing for the faith of this man. He doesn't want this man to just believe him because of miracles. He wants this man to first believe that his word is faithful and that he will obey him and he will go even though he didn't get it. Friends, there is a place for signs and wonders. God does do miracles, and he does it today. And he surely did miracles in the Old Testament. And he rose Jesus from the dead, and he rose Lazarus from the dead, and he healed the blind, and he healed that paralyzed man I mentioned early on in the story. But you see, none of those things are enough for true saving faith. Unless a man is born again, I wholeheartedly believe we could have, a, if we had a healing service here, and some of you who are skeptical about the things of God might go through a temporary, I'm excited about Jesus because I saw this, but unless the Holy Spirit does something within the stuff that Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless you're born again, it won't change you for long. So what does change us for long? It's us hearing this book, looking at the Jesus that's in this book, seeing this Christ, hearing his words, and believing him. That, it, it's a miracle when it happens. I'm thankful there is, there's so many miracles in this room that are, have testimony of that miracle of you saying, Pastor Daniel... I believe him. I trust him. I, I want him, not just what he gives me, I want him. And if he takes everything away from me, I still want him. When that happens in our lives, that is a work of God by his grace, trusting that he is better than anything. And as we come to the end of this story, we see, well, really the conversion of Jesus, a conversion of this man by Jesus. This man believes, step one, he goes, I'm going to believe Jesus' word. He told me to go, not to stay. He told me to go, and I'm going to go, believing that what he just told me is going to come true because, I don't know what it is, but he spoke with authority like I couldn't understand, and I had never heard from anyone else, and I believed him. I believed that he told me my son would live, that he would live, and I went, started to head home, and as he goes home, a servant meets him and says, your son is recovering. And notice, if, 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 I was, if I was so anxious about one of my children dying, and I sought help, and I heard, had hope that he was going to heal, get healed, and as I'm heading home, I'm, I'd be looking at my phone constantly to say, is there a notification that he's getting better? And the moment I got that notification, my first question wouldn't be, what time did it happen? It would be, are you sure? Give me evidences. What's his temperature? What's, are, are you really, you're not, jo, jock, you're not joking, are you? Please 
clear this up. And the reality is what Jesus, what this man does, he, he's convinced. He didn't need any more convincing there. All he wanted is more evidence to glory in the fact that this was Jesus. What hour was it? It was. It was the hour that Jesus, the one in whom I now believe, spoke to me. Your son will live. And it says he believed with all. He didn't say it with all our heart, but I think you'd say he believed with his heart in Jesus. His word is faithful. He is the living God. He is the light of the world. He brings life to all who believe in him. I love this story for many reasons, but one of it is is that Jesus just gives him one thing, his word. Not visible angels, no flaming bush, no fire in the sky, no star above his son's bed, just the word. The word of the word. In this story, we, we read that this royal official believed it. The man believed the word of Jesus. Do you believe the word of Jesus? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe the songs that we sing? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Do you believe he is the one who takes away our sins? He is the lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. He is the only savior of the world. This man believed the word of Jesus and he trusted in him and he calls, in this passage, calls us to true faith. Faith in Jesus through his word and not Jesus just so that we can get all the goodies that Jesus might provide for us. True belief in God occurs when things the person sought for themselves get eclipsed by the God who alone can provide them. True belief takes place when the things that we once sought, healing, freedom from depression, restored marriage, a sick son, they get, they, they move to secondary matters compared to seeing God for who he really is and what he truly provides. And the appropriate response to Jesus is the one that find meaning in life, not merely in what Jesus gives, but who he really is. Jesus is the life, not just the one that will give you a little better life today, though he does. Jesus is the source of all. That's why we long for our children to know Jesus, not just so they can go to heaven when they die. They were meant to know him and to sing his praises for all his life. You were meant to rejoice in the Lord. He is the only wellspring of our souls. He is the only one that can truly satisfy. Oh, may we get and understand our real need as we ponder this passage. Oh, go to God this morning with all of your burdens. And I know that there are many. A sick spouse, broken heart, physical sickness and illness, relationship brokenness. Take those things to God. Oh, but take them realizing and surrendering that he is who is meant to meet your need. Not just, he doesn't just bring you the gift. He is meant to be the true gift that you're to receive. I want to end with these questions to you, to myself. Before I do that, I invite you. Before I do that, I invite you, if you have not 
truly believed in Jesus? Would you believe the word that Jesus has spoken to us in this story? He said to this man, your son will live. Will you believe him when he says that you will not perish but have eternal life if you believe in me? Oh, would you believe in Christ? Will you turn away from yourself and would you receive Christ? You have not done that. And I'm speaking to you whether you consider yourself a Christian or if you've been a member in this church, and yet he is not very real. Are you a consumer of Jesus to get what you want? Or have you been converted like this man? Do you seek and believe in Jesus because you need help in your relationships? And that's it? Or because his relationship is what you most deeply long for? Do you seek and believe in Jesus because you're so desperate, you so desperately need healing physically or for someone else? Or because you desperately seek spiritual healing and you long for more than anything a relationship with him? Do you seek and believe in Jesus because you're struggling financially and you want him to help you? Or because you know that with him you have everything? Do you seek and believe in Jesus because you're afraid to go to hell when you die? Or because you know that to know him is to enjoy him and God forever, and that's what you long more than anything? Do you seek and believe in Jesus because that is what your family and everyone else does? Or because you want him for yourself, even though others might forsake you because you follow him? Do you seek and believe in Jesus because the alternative to doing that is just unconvincing and I guess he is real, but that's about it, or because you're deeply convinced in your heart that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Oh, I pray that you'll hear his word, and it won't be because of signs and wonders that you saw and believe, but you hear the word and you see Christ as he really is, and you believe I can't make that happen for you, but the Holy Spirit can through this word being spoken. Cry out to him and he will answer you. If you cry out with a sincere heart, seeking him with all your heart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to conclude with a song of worship and praise. We're going to end with a cry that calls out to him and says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" A cry that declares, and let us make this a song as a congregation just to look at him and believe his promises. Let's make this a song to one another and to the Lord, an expression of faith. But before we do that, let me pray. Father, help us to see Christ as he really is. Help us to believe in him with all our heart. Oh God, I pray that for those coming right now with an aching heart, an empty heart, a distracted heart, they would come and they would hear the words of Jesus and they would believe and they would have life. They would believe not because they see signs, but because they, they know his word is trustworthy. And when they ask, how do they know? They just believe. It's written in their heart. Would you do that? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.